Give it up for Kyle, everybody. Hey, Kyle. Yeah, give it up for Kyle. Awesome. Did you guys get a chance to fill that out? One more time for Kyle, everybody. Yeah, yeah Kyle. All right. <laughs> oh, boy. Rookie. He's a rookie pulling off my... I was watching that happening. I was like, my iPad's on there. Way to save it. Way to keep it from, from going, getting crashed. Um, hey, guys. My name is Mike clunky. I'm pastor here in Cornerstone, and um, man, there was a, like, the biggest football game of the week. It already happened, right? It already happened. Normal community high school. Right, Jake? All right. What was the score, Jake? 43 to nothing. What, what was the score at halftime? There you go. There you go. Demolished that team. And then second, put in the replacement players, played the second half. So they've got some growth to, to go for next year. Right, Dan? Stuck me on a train. Um, hey, it's a delight to be here with you guys uh, this morning. <clears throat> and um, I've been looking forward to kicking off this, this series on the Ten Commandments, otherwise known as the Decalogue, uh, which means ten words, the ten words of God that are found in Exodus 20. And we've titled the series uh, Boundaries That Bring Blessings because over the next couple of months, we hope to really engage your head and your heart towards seeing what Kate described really well, to see how boundaries, particularly the boundaries that are found in Exodus 20, how they work to bring blessings and abundant life into our lives and into society. That, that one of the things we'll see is that when we live without boundaries, this is a life that gets squashed, and this is where growth in our lives, when there are no boundaries, it becomes, growth is inhibited. But mo most of us have some sort of, I'm going to assume most of us have some sort of familiarity with the, the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words. Somewhere or somehow, maybe through reading Exodus 20 or the book of Exodus, you've come across this in your life, either maybe uh, through a film, maybe you've seen, like you've been with your grandparents, you watched Charlton Heston in the, the Ten Commandments, or you've seen uh, the Prince of Egypt, or you've seen them printed, you know, in some place or, you know, on a wall. Um, and, and it's just that these... These 10 words um, or ideas, like we forget that at one point they've never existed. At one point in time, this didn't exist. But about 4,000 years ago, these words um, had a tremendous impact in a very small tribe of small group of people, and for the past 4,000 years, these 10 words have had a tremendous impact. It has shaped society. It has impacted governments. It has impacted laws. And it's staggering to, to really understand how much influence these 10 words have had on just people from all across the globe, across so many millennium. 
And the narrative behind the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments is found in the story, the second book um, of the Pentateuch, which is the first five books, the second book, Genesis, Exodus, found in, in the story of Exodus. It's the story of God rescuing his people from slavery, performing miracle after miracle, and leading several million people um, <clears throat> through this march through the desert, across the Red Sea, to the base of this mountain, to hear some of the most important boundaries they'll ever hear about how to live. Millions of people who were slaves for 400 years, as far back as they could remember, my, my great-great-grandfather, his, his father, like just for generation after generation, as far back as they can man, uh, you know, remember and imagine, they've, they've had no freedom, they've had no rights, they've had no boundaries of their own. These people are brought into freedom and they're needing a new direction, a new vision for life and society. Can you, can you picture it? Can you picture it? Good, because I want to start off by doing a little activity. So this is going to get us moving here. In a minute, I'm, going to, I'm just simply going to use this center divider right here and we're going to divide you into two camps and each camp will have a project. You've got one question you're going to answer. Right, so just imagine, like you. So this is your team. Look around at your team. Look around at your team here, um, and just just think this. You guys have experienced just this great oppression. You've experienced now this great freedom from this great oppression, and now you're coming together. The the this right side and this left side. You guys are coming together, and you're going to form a new society. And we don't have long for this exercise, so it's just. It's just to get you guys up and moving and thinking about it. Um, so it's going to be, we're going to exercise in expediency a little bit. We're going to help you engage with the text. So here we go. We're going to play Survivor here. All right. I don't know how you guys are going to do it, but now you've just, you've you got to gather up. And here's the question. Here's the goal, right? In Survivor, the goal, right? The goal of Survivor is that you got to outwit, outlast, right? But here... Here, you gotta, let me get your attention. Here, we need to figure out how to live as a society. And this is the one question you're going to answer. What are the rules for your group now that you've been freed? What are the rules for your group? Gather up.
All right, everybody. All right, go ahead and just find your seat. Find your seat here. Yeah, just take that group that you were just in and multiply it by about five, four to five hundred, you know, thousand people, and that's that's what you're dealing with the size of, of Israel. But this is really hard to do, right? I heard like, hey, 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 Austin's got an idea. And I think I heard this group over here, they're going to they're gonna make sure they shower once a week. That was a good rule. Or, or we're going to have no rules, right? We're going to have, how did, you, how did you pick who you were going to listen to? So it was whoever was in the middle, right? Could you imagine like, yeah, you're trying to find the, like who's in the middle, right? Like in, in a million people. Is that the middle? Is this the middle? How did you guys pick out who to listen to? You just, you just started talking? Yeah. I mean, how do you know whose voice to trust? Right? Like, we're not all going to trust that Karen has my best interest in heart, right? Right? That's just like, how, how do you figure that out? But that's exactly what we need to do to put ourselves in this situation to understand for ourselves to discover the story. Because millions of people are leaving slavery and they're longing to be free. They're longing, they're longing for freedom. They're longing, I'm going to cough a little, for this freedom. But they also need to come together for the sake of human flourishing, not just individual flourishing. And for the rest of the day, today and over the course of the next several months, we want you to see these things. These are things we want you to see. We want you to see that these 10 words are for me. I want you to experience that God's commandments, they're, they're for me. We want you to see that these 10 words are for us. That God gives boundaries, not just for the individual, but for the flourishing of society. And then the third thing and the last thing we want to see is that a good father gives his children boundaries. Will you guys pray with me? Father, we just delight in you. We worship you. We thank you for these 10 words in our lives, Lord. Help us to come and put ourselves under your words. Because we know that you, we want to believe, we know that you have the true words of life for me. So God, help us to look to you, turn to you, and receive from you and your word what it is that you long to do in our hearts. Lord, we experience the freedom that you do give us in Jesus. So, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for, I'm just thankful for my friends here. And we thank you most of all for Jesus. Amen. You don't have to raise your hand, but I just want you to think, how many of us have a view, kind of like what um, Kate communicated, kind of that, 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 that the, the Ten Commandments, is when we think about the Ten Commandments, that God is kind of fed up with us. <laughs> that, you know, he's, these commandments, they put us in our place. That God is maybe angry with his people. He's looking for a way to just punish us who color outside of the lines. I know this is the view that I grew up with. Like, I had a view that God's law is there to just, to, to punish me. But what if that could be, what if that, that is, nothing could be further from the truth than that? You see, we've all experienced life without boundaries. Each one of us has experienced life without boundaries at times, and we know instinctively, we know that boundaries are good. 
not just to keep order, but for us to really thrive. So how many of you have ever played like sand volleyball, right, where somebody thinks it is their job to get every single ball? They're not one of six. They are out there to just dominate on the team, right? Have you guys experienced they're flying around the court, they're, they're kind of trying to bump and set and spike to themselves, and they're, they're everywhere. They just do everything they can to hit every single ball. It's pretty challenging to work as a team with somebody like that without the boundary of, this is my space, it was my ball, I was going to hit it. What are you doing, right? What about um, the boundaries that exist on our roads, what happens if a car crosses the middle line or crosses the double line and heads straight for you? You're really glad that we appreciate and observe this boundary on our streets. It's in, in, it is in place and respected. Why? Because it keeps everyone safe. And when someone ignores that boundary, it can lead to pain, heartache, and loss. I have a friend, an acquaintance, who's a really close talker. Like we're talking like four inches away. Right? And he'll get right up to your face and you'll start talking. And it is so uncomfortable just to, to sit there. Right? And you can back up and then he'll just keep going. Right? A really close talker. You might feel uneasy if there's just no boundary there that's in your life. We've got a, a, a parade of young men in suits walking through. I know many of us grew up with parents who didn't provide boundaries for us as kids. But as a little kid, you look for safety. Like you, you, you need to know that somebody bigger than you is in charge to be able to feel safe. Some of us experience parents with a, with a lack of emotional boundaries. And so it's just crushing when mom and dad guilt trip you into coming home because they're paying for school or they're dropping a little, you know, a little dig that says, well, you know, I do pay for your car insurance. The lack of emotional boundaries, it creates insecurity, it creates pain. See, we often tend to look at boundaries through the lens of restriction rather than through the lens of providing the appropriate space for each one of us to grow in an environment of security, one that leads to personal blessing and abundant living. See, these 10 words are for me. These 10 words are for me. They are for you. They are established not to keep you from living a full life, but actually to guide you into the full life that God has for you. That without appropriate boundaries, a child will never know where they begin and, and, and another you know, person begins and ends. So behind me is just a way to picture that. It's this space that is right here in you. That boundary, what it communicates is agency and the ability for you to express yourself and truly grow in the direction that God intends. You see, boundaries are necessary borders in our lives because they allow the fragile human heart to grow and flourish in depth and maturity. When you erase those boundaries, our growth is stunted. Look at this picture. When you don't know where you begin and someone, where you end and someone else begins, you, when people constantly or consistently erase boundaries or invade boundaries, you end up without a plot of ground for your life to be established and for you to flourish, to grow. This is not abundant living. 
Let me, let me illustrate this for you too. About 15 years ago, I was doing a solo backpacking retreat in Colorado. It's just a, a time for me to be in silence and solitude and seek Jesus. And some of you who've been out at LT leadership training, if this is new to you, you'll, you'll hear about it. But so it was in Rocky Mountain National Park. And um, after setting up my tent, I went ahead and, and I, uh, there's a stream and I had a water filter, water purifying uh, filter. And I went down to that stream and uh, I was literally miles from nowhere. And anyone want to guess what I ran into? Elk. Good guess. No. A bear? No. Would have been amazing, but no. I ran into a divorce lawyer. He was carrying an empty bottle, a 20-ounce empty bottle of Coke. That's all he had. And he pleaded with me. He said, could I have some water? And as I was filling up his water bottle, I, f I found out, I asked him questions. He was, what do you do? You know, I'm just making chit-chatting. He's from Seattle, you know, and I'm a divorce lawyer. I was like, oh, cool. Hey, I've heard it mentioned like lots of times that the three main reasons why people get divorced are sex, money, and in-laws. What do you think? He had been, he was probably 20 years older than me. He'd been practicing divorce law for a long time. He immediately and astutely said something like this. In my 30 years of working with couples, there's only one reason people eventually get divorced. It's because they lack appropriate boundaries. He went on to say when a couple lacks appropriate boundaries in their sexual relationship, it causes strife and pain and difficulty. This is what leads to divorce. When couples lack appropriate boundaries and financially dealing with one another and just one just spends it, what it does is that when those boundaries aren't in place and agreed upon, it causes pain and difficulty. When a spouse doesn't have appropriate boundaries with the, their in-laws or their mom and dad, what it does is it creates pain and strife. And often, not having appropriate boundaries, it means that a marriage is often filled with pain and tension. I was schooled because <laughs> he was so right. So these 10 words are for me. They provide a framework for me and for you as a way for you to see that what God, the heart of a good father, is that he wants his children to flourish. These 10 words are also for us. You'll see that the first four words that we're going to be covering, right, the first four words really relate to our vertical relationship with God. This is about me and God, but then most of them, the other six, are all about how we bend forward and live horizontally in relationship with one another. These first four really talk about how how we can live in such a way to keep God enthroned in our lives. But these laws that, that God has given, they not only govern our hearts and our lives, but they're meant to govern and exist to help us understand the appropriate boundaries that we're to have with one another in order that humanity would also flourish. They were, to give, uh, they were given to us to help us know how we can live in right relationship with each other so that there would be a thriving, abundant life and blessing. These commands are for us. For the Israelites at that time, until that point of coming into Exodus 20, coming at this mountain, coming to hear the voice of God kind of um, just speak out and call out to him, until that time, they were not a real nation. 
unified under Yahweh. They were this, just this collection of former slaves. But through these commands, God intended to take Israel and form Israel into a nation that was to be a blessing for every other nation on earth. This is what we read about in scriptures. This is, Exodus 20 is this formation of this new nation. And it's quite clear that among all the nations in the world, God chose Israel. He is the one that he's going to work with. And he offered them an opportunity to become this model nation of his way of life for all nations so that all people can have his blessings. The prophet Isaiah records this. He says it this way. God says it this way. It is not enough for you, Israel, to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations to be uh, my salvation to the ends of the earth. This was the nation that God had delivered out of slavery in Egypt, a nation whom God gave the land of Canaan to, a nation through whom Jesus would come, the Messiah of the entire world. These words are for us. So let's open up to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look more closely at these words that are for us. It'll be on the screen behind you, behind me here. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 20 begins this way. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. What God is doing here is he's establishing himself. He is the leader. He is the one who did this wonderful thing. He's establishing himself with his people. He's saying that I'm the one who brought you out of freedom. And if you know, you know the Exodus or you've seen the Prince of Egypt, I know it's an old movie, this was no small task. Like how they got there was just no small task. In order to be free, God appointed Moses, and you know Moses kind of grumbles a little bit, and so Aaron, his brother Aaron comes, and they go to the Pharaoh, and they, time and time again they said, let my people go. My people just want three days to go worship in the wilderness. Let my people go. And when they ask Pharaoh, he's just like, no way, bucko. <laughs> he's not giving up his slave labor work. And then there's this succession of 10 plagues, and each time the Pharaoh just denies them freedom until the last one. And so we see in the beginning that, that God turns the Nile River red, and then he sends a plague of frogs and gnats and locusts and so on and so on. Well, why is this important? It's important because you see the e Egyptians... Egypt, the people of Egypt, they worshiped hundreds of gods and goddesses, and the head of all of those false gods, the leader, the, 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 the god over all of the false gods was Pharaoh himself. And through each of these successive plagues, the God of Israel shows himself to be superior to the gods of Egypt. God is superior to Hopi, the Nile River god, to Hecate, the, the frog goddess of fertility and fruitfulness. He's superior to Geb, the god of the earth, and so on and so on. All the way up the ladder, when God strikes the household of Pharaoh himself, killing his firstborn son. And so in Exodus chapter 20, God is saying, it was me. I'm the god of all gods. I'm the one who brought you up out of Egypt. I'm the one who parted the Red Sea. I'm the one who protected you thus far in the wilderness, who guides you by a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. I am the one who is superior to all the gods in your life. Small g. I'm the one who saved you. Not, not because I had to, but because I have a commitment to my covenant. And I saved you out of my affection and love for you. What he's saying is this, 
He does good because he is good. He's the God of all gods. He's the Lord of all lords. And so he says, for 400 years, you've been in this place where hundreds of deities are worshipped, and you've seen my hand of deliverance, and I want you to know this. This word is for you. God wants each one of us to know him and who he is. These are the 10 words that the God of the universe, who knows the condition of our lives and what we've gone through, these 10 words are just a powerful, eternal, come from a powerful, eternal, all-knowing and wise father. He's the one who's holy beyond compare, absolutely pure. He loves you. He's blessed you with his presence here today. He's the God who's been with you in your childhood. He's with you in these college years. He's with you in your young marriage. He's with you in your singleness. He's with you in your parenting. He's with you in your grief, in your loss. He'll be with you with every triumph and every tragedy that you experience. And he's given you these words of life that if you put them in your heart to follow them with obedience, if you obey these words, it will keep you from sin. It will allow you to know him. And he wants nothing less than to meet with you this week. He wants to meet with you today in ways that you probably hadn't thought were possible. And this is the heart of a good father who's established these boundaries for his children so that they would grow and flourish. You see, a good father gives his children boundaries. And so we go into these first two commandments. When we go into them, there's something that needs to be made crystal clear. Like, I just want you to know this, that one of the great purposes of God speaking these things to his people is to understand something here, that God is utterly different than you and me, that he is set apart, that the moral law, he is the one who gives the moral law, that every, everything in his person is not only absolutely good, but absolutely holy. And so if we truly understand that, it, it should be simple for us, each one of us, that when we come to these commands and we look at these 10 words, we would know with certainty that we can't keep this law. So we know, need to know that the intent of the law is to show us how far we are from ever measuring up to God's holy, perfect standard. If you're familiar with Romans 7, this is Paul's understanding. He's like, I don't do what I want to do. Instead, I do what I don't want to do. And if I don't do what I want to do, then it's sin that dwells within me. But he ends with saying, but, but thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. He knows that he cannot, he fails to keep the law. And this is the goodness of the law, which is meant to drive us to our real need, which is not our ability to do good, but our need to be made good by a good God. You see, the law is not put into place so that we would just try ever harder and harder and harder to be perfect, but in order for us to see our great need for God's mercy for us. And so when we look at God's, you know, fifth command onward, you're going to see that God's holy standard is this external obedience, right? Don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't commit adultery until you get to the 10th word, which is this, do not covet. So at the very end, God is bringing this to a heart level. Don't covet in your heart. This is exactly what we see Jesus doing in Matthew 5 through 7 on the Sermon on the Mount. 
Think about what this means for the people of Israel. Moses went up onto the mountain, right, and delivered God's 10 words to us. Jesus goes up onto the mountain, and what does he say? He says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. He's not telling you anything new. What he's communicating is, that, is this. He's sitting there, and he's saying, this is how we interpret the law well. He's not giving a new law, but because the people of Israel believed that they could be made right by their external obedience, what he's doing is he's saying, I came to redeem the heart. This is all about your heart. This isn't about your external works. This is all about what's going on in the inside. I came to help you see that you fail to live the heart of the law. You fail to be acceptable you cannot be forgiven and made new through observance of the law. And instead, the law was given to drive us to God's mercy. And the mercy of God is summed up most simply and profoundly in the cross. Because in the cross, Jesus is the righteous fulfillment of the law and my failure to be able to pay for it. My failure to be able to be good enough to earn some sort of favor from God that the way out of being under the judgment of the law is the trusting of your heart that you need Jesus. Jesus, I need you. I trust in you. And so when we come to the law, we, we must not think that the law is somehow bad. We must see that it is displaying the goodness of a father who knows that he desires to bring abundant blessings for each one of us when we come and we set out to, to bring our hearts to each one of these words. If you don't obey from the heart, you haven't obeyed at all. And as we look at this first command here, this is what we're going to see. Then we're going to see this, that we are to honor God as God. This is the first law. Honor God as God. So we'll grab our, you know, our first little tiki torch here, right? Don't you like my construction paper flame? Right? So in Survivor, the game is Survivor, what does fire mean? Have you seen it? Fire means life, right? God gives his word to bring life. So this first boundary that God gives here is this in Exodus 20, verse 3. He says, do not have other gods besides me. Don't have any other gods besides me. How, how do, what does this mean practically? Practically, how do we honor God as God? I, I think it means that God desires to have the same position in place of your heart as he does in the entire universe that he wants and desires and demands that he be honored in your heart as the one who truly, honestly, and rightly rules all things. That in, in your heart and life, you live and you love and honor him in such a way that recognizes and respects and knows that the one who put the stars in the sky and keeps the planet spinning, who is Lord of the universe, he has the same place in your heart as he does. in all of the cosmos. This is what will bring you life and blessing. Here's the boundary that when you agree to it in your heart, it will be a, bring you just abundant life. That God is the central focus. He's the central figure. He wants to be the central person in your life, in all of your relationships, in your future, in all that you do. He's the center. I didn't figure out what I'm going to do with this one. Here, will that stand there? Is that going to get in the way? There it is. It's there it is. 
He wants to be the central figure in, in your life, in your relationships, in your future, in all that you do. He is a center. Why? Because that is where he belongs. Look at, look at this word in, in verse 3, besides. How central is God to be in our lives? He is to have zero competitors in your life. Zero, not one. Nothing is to be placed before God. He wants to be first place in your life. For context, for the Israelites, it meant that you don't worship the gods of Egypt. You don't worship the gods of the Ammonites. You don't worship the god of the Moabites or the Jebusites or the Hittites. It means that you don't worship the sun, the star, the moons, the earth, the clouds, the rain. For us, it means we don't worship politics. We don't worship presidents. We don't worship ourselves. We don't worship our jobs. We don't worship sex, money, influence, fame, fortune, security. We don't worship a relationship. We don't worship our bodies. We don't worship a philosophy or football or status, culture, pop stars. Why is this the first word? How does this bring us abundant blessing in our life? It's because when we make anything else the focus point of our lives, we, dim we diminish our value and the value of others. When we make anything else the focal point in our lives, we live from a place of scarcity and we give value and power to people, things, objects that will rule, rule us and one day destroy us. So here's some questions for you to ponder about how well are you doing living within this boundary that God gives in order to bring blessings to you. These are some questions that will help you kind of get to the point of who is the center of your life. Simply put, who or what do you worship? When life gets difficult, where do you go? When life is challenging, who or what do you rely on? when the pressure of life comes in, you know there will be pressure. It's probably here today. Where do you go? Who do you rely on when you're under pressure? Or what do you rely on? Yourself? Finances? A relationship? This just helps you know who you are looking for to save you. Second, what do you do with your time and your treasure and your talents? What do you do with your treasure, time, and talents? Who or what gets the most of you? The treasures that you have in your bank account, you know, for most of us, it feels really small, right? Most of us, it feels really small. Like most of you, it, it probably is small, but, you know, we just need to be honest. A poor American college student is rich compared to the world. If you wanted to know what is important to me, all you got to do is like look at my bank statement, right? Because nobody spends money on things they do not care about. What was that purchase there for? Ah, just a bag of crap. That's what I bought. Do you care about it? Nope. Just a bag of crap. It's got some things in it. What'd you do with it? Nothing, man. I bought seven of those bags, <laughs> right? We don't do that. We spend money on things that are valuable, not things that are frivolous to us. Jesus said this. He said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is at. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is at. Well, what about your time? Where do you spend your time and what do you do with your time? Your time is valuable. We know that. How you spend your time is a reflection of what you really care about. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just, you know, I'm trying to just display, like, these are some good evaluation questions. Like, where do you spend your time? What about your talents and your gifts and your abilities? 
Are you aware that God made you you in order for you to bless people with the gifts that he's given you? Or do you use what you have and what's been given to you for yourself? If, if who you are and what you wear and what you do is for you to feel good and navigate the world in, and for you, you're living for someone or something else. But God invites you to have him and him alone on the throne of your life. He wants to be the central focus of your life and number one. And this leads us to ask, who or what is the center or the focus of your life? You know, the crazy thing is, is that we can all kind of come up with really good things, right? There's really good things like, I love my wife, Michelle. I love her. I'm called to love her. I'm called to do good to her. Same with my kids, but they must not come first. Providing for my family, man, that's important. I need to have a job, but it, it ought not be first. Is not to be the center or the focus of my life. I must not worship a relationship, a job, a person, a thing. This is the first commandment. And so we need to be honest about who is the center of our life today. We need to be honest about in our hearts, do we allow God to take center stage and surround our lives completely? This is the first word that God speaks about, and the second is like it. Exodus 20, verse 4 says, Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow and worship to them and do not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, bringing the consequence of the father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the second commandment. This is the second word that provides a boundary for us in order to bring life, right? So we've got these two commandments. So what's going on with the second commandment? What's happening in this second one here? The thing is that, <clears throat> why is this important, right? Why is it important? God forbids us to imagine God as anything other than who he really is. He is an infinite spirit, and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, he, he hates idolatry. He hates idols. We should not submit to or bow down to or any type of idea or form or representation of God that cannot be contained, right, in, even in our imagination. We're not even to, like, think through, like, reduce God even to what we can imagine him to be, because to do so, it denies his true existence, and it makes him into something that we create. And here, God reveals to us why it's important. It's important because he's a jealous God. But we often mistake, kind of view jealousy for God, and we kind of view this through our own kind of understanding of jealousy, right? In general, our jealousy is about seeing something that is not ours and wanting it, right? Like, I look at Quinn's shirt, and I was like, jealous for that Kansas City t-shirt. I just want that. Or, Amy, I don't know what you have. That's right. Those are two worlds coming together and colliding, right? How is that? How are, how is teas, how are the Swifties in the NFL doing, right? right? So we often view jealousy as something as like, well, I see something and I want it, but this is not how we are to understand God's jealousy. 
But God's jealousy is, all, is, is about seeing something that is his and wanting it back. The highest worship belongs to him. He's deserving of it. Heartfelt worship belongs to him. And when we don't receive it, when he doesn't receive it, he sees what belongs to him. When we bow down to idols, when we give ourselves to other things, he sees that that belongs to him alone and he's jealous for your heart. And this type of jealousy is totally appropriate. It's totally appropriate because he made you, he desires all of you, and because of his love for you, he wants all of you. It's the kind of jealousy that you might feel if you were married and, and you see your spouse flirting with another person. I'd be jealous for that affection because that belongs to me, not somebody else, and it's totally appropriate form of jealousy. See, God deserves and demands our devotion to him and to him alone. He's the only being in the, in the, listen, he's the, only being in the entire universe where this can and should be true. And here's the extent of his mercy. He says, for those who refuse it in their lives, the idols of today, the idols of sex and money and power, musician, athletes, God is, God, God, there, there's, for those who refuse it, there will, be, there will come a time of pain. Not because he's actively doing something, just, and just living in that will bring pain and heartache, but God is nothing but blessing after blessing and mercy for generation after generation for those who walk in obedience to this command. But not so with those who bow down to the culture or people or anything else that is not God. They invite pain into their lives and into their families. Why? Why? Because a distorted view of God leads to a distorted view of ourselves. A distorted view of God leads to a distorted view of ourselves. And we need, to, we need God to fashion and make us. We don't make Him. We desperately need Him to mold us into His likeness. We don't mold Him into our ideas. Through Christ, we are renewed day by day into his likeness, into his character, into his holiness. And when we make and keep idols, we refuse the love of God, the heart of God, the work of God in our lives. And so here's a diagnostic question for the second word for you to think about and linger in this week. What is really shaping your life today? What do you allow to shape your life today? What are you giving permission to shape and mold you? See, this is a way that you're bowing down to an image or a God, small g, that you think will make you better, bring you importance or significance and value. It is something, it is, it is making you into something. See, but the second word is God's boundary that tells us that he blesses those who rightly allow him to mold and shape us. God brings life to those who walk in obedience to him through this molding because what he wants to do is he wants to restore you to what it means to be fully human. This is the heart of God that wants to bless you. You see, when you ignore this boundary that was created to bless you, you turn away from your original design and you reject God's role in your life. So practically, how do we honor God in this second word to us? Here's one thing you can do this week to get your heart, to kind of wrap, wrap your, your hearts you know, around this. 
will you take time today this week to, to humbly ask, what rival is there to God in your heart? What rival is there to God in your heart? What idol is there that God is jealous of? What person or goal or idea or dream, though it might be good, is shaping you and has prominence in your life? A place where only God should be. See, because God is a good father, he will always confront what is enthroned in your life if it is not him. He knows that bowing down to anything other than himself, it invites slavery again, it invites heartache, it invites pain and challenges and strife and conflict. And it's right and good for God to not want to in any way share the human heart with anything. Anything that rivals him invites his jealousy. He selfishly wants all of you. Why? Listen, listen. So that you could have all of him. When you have all of him, you have the ability to grow in substantial ways. You have the ability to heal in substantial ways. You have the ability to live in the glorious freedom and the delight of a God who knows that without him you were doomed, but with him you're destined for glory with him, you're destined for glory. These 10 words are for me. These 10 words are for us. A good father always gives boundaries to his children. And as we move through these words, we discover how these boundaries do lead to bringing us abundant life. And in our time of communion today, we want to acknowledge these three, three things as well. So as we go into a time of communion, we need to acknowledge that Jesus is for me. Jesus is the one who gave his life for me to free me from sin and self-righteousness. Jesus is the one who completely fulfilled the law in me, in him, so that in him, in my life, I could have all the blessings of obedience that Jesus did because he lived a holy life. He lived the holy life that I didn't. Jesus is for us. Jesus intends to make us here this great light to our friends and to our families and to our campus that if my relationships in here are not right, if they're, they're or deep or there's conflict that I need, I need to see that maybe I commit to fixing this before I take communion. Jesus for us means that I'm committed to living community with God's people. And God is my good father who's on the throne in my life. He, he gives me a boundary to bring me blessings so that he would be enthroned in my life. Consider this time for you to be a time of just commit again this week to live in such a way that God is the center of your life. If you've never come to a place where you have trusted Christ, you're still kind of considering him. We're just so glad that you're here. But this time is for us who have turned to Jesus and we trust him to remake our lives into his likeness and restore us into his image. But if this doesn't reflect your heart, then, then let this be just a, a time here where you can just think about what God, des God desires from you and what holds you back. What is holding you back from living in the freedom that Jesus gives you through the cross?
hold you back from committing your life to him. At any time during the music, you guys feel free to come and, and, and take communion. In addition, if you want someone to pray for you, there'll be a couple people on the sides here. We would It would be a joy and a blessing to carry your burden with you and to pray for you. Would you guys stand with me as I close in prayer here? Thank you for your great words for us that invite us to come and live. Lord, thank you that you're a good father, that this word is for me. Lord, thank you that you desire to bless your children. Lord, my unending prayer is that all who are gathered here would be fully present. They'd be with you because of your son and his work on the cross when Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead, that they would be to a time of communion and a time of worship here. Lord, help help us in our minds and our hearts to fall deeper and deeper in love with the God who desires to bring blessing.